Hi, sisters. I'm so happy to be with you again today. Today, we are going to be talking about a woman of faith, and her name is Esther Kim, formerly Ai Soup from Korea. Her story is so inspirational. I pray that it blesses you. Hi, family. Welcome to God's Word Transforming Lives. Are you wanting to learn the Bible verse by verse? one letter at a time, with real-life application, then this podcast is for you. My name is Amy, and I have been teaching the Word of God to women for over 15 years now. I came out of some trauma from my childhood, and it left me feeling so empty. And after searching high and low with everything the world had to offer, I always came up short until I learned the Word of God for myself. And it was in that that I became transformed. So if you would like to be transformed by God's word, then stick around and let's do this together. Did you know I have a free sisterhood community of women just like you? Women who love Jesus and they love one another. They too are looking for that deeper walk with Christ and they love learning his word. If you pause right now and click the link below in the show notes, It'll take you right to the Facebook group. We look forward to getting to know you. Hi, sisters. I am so excited to be with you again today. Today, we are going to do a woman of faith, and she is actually from Korea. So I'm going to pronounce her name the best I can one time, and then I'm going to call her by her um, second given name. So Anai Ai Soup. Uh, is her is her uh, given name in Korea? She is known by Esther Kim, though, and we'll get into why. And so today, let's talk about her. She was born in Korea in 1908, um, and so two years after she was born in Korea, that's when the Japanese took over Korean territory in war. They took they took over the territory and said, "Okay, you are now um, a part of Japan." And so as being a part of Japan, you now have to worship our gods. So like they had their Shinto shrines, you had to pray to Japanese gods, you had to pray to dead emperors and former war heroes, whatever they deemed worthy of worship, you had to do that. So they they occupied Korea for 35 years. So she was born in 1908, ends up two years later, Japanese come in, they annex Korea, and then they have all these, you know, forced worship of their of their gods and their deities. So now Esther's family that she was born into, her mother was a born again Christian. She was saved, loved Jesus with everything of her heart. But unfortunately, her father and all the rest of her family worshiped the idols of Korea or Japan. And so she had the influence of her mom, but then she had all this other influence of everyone else around her worshiped these false idols. And one thing she observed growing up was that the people in her family that were worshiping the false idols were, they were miserable. They, they weren't, they didn't have joy. They didn't have peace. They, they just weren't full of you know, something different, which her mom was like, she observed her mom and her mom always had this quiet peace and this happiness and this joy. And she observed that like her mom was literally set apart 
from everyone else in her family and everything else that she observed from the people who would worship the idols versus her mom who worshiped the God named Jesus. And so she gave her life to Christ and her mom had said to her one night, she says, as you can see, idols have no power at all. The Lord Jesus is the only one who can give us the true power and happiness and peace. And her seeing that, like her mom just didn't just say it, like she saw it for, for herself, the peace that her mom had compared to those who had the false worship. And so she became born again. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. And so then her father ends up sending her off to Japan for um, education. So that she ended up learning the Japanese language and had this beautiful Japanese um, you know, school uh, schooling. So then after she graduated school, she came home and started um, working for a Christian school and taught uh, music. She became a music teacher at this Christian school. So one day while teaching the class, they had a call to what they call a call to shrine worship, where everybody had to go and everyone had to bow to the sun goddess which was the shrine that they had to bow to that particular day. And so she's, so she has to take her class and she has to walk them to this auditorium, if you will, where the goddess is at and then everyone's going to have to bow. And so as she's walking to this auditorium, she's like, I can't bow to this sun God, but yet if I don't bow to it, I will be arrested. I will be tortured. I'll be put in prison. Um, or I might be killed. And one thing she writes about, she says, I, I, I never feared death. I don't, I didn't care about dying. She goes, but I did honestly fear being tortured. She's like, that was the thing that like terrified her the most was being tortured and the pain and all that, that goes with that. And I, I think we can all appreciate that. I know even in my own life, like I, I don't fear dying to, you know, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord, but I'm, I do not want to be tortured. Okay. I don't want my toenails like off one by one and you know all this crazy things like that I think that is terrifying to anybody and only takes you know we really need the grace of God for any martyrs or any uh persecuted brothers and sisters who have gone through torture who've gone through those things you know it really is the grace of God upon them that gets them through that and so as we sit here in our comforts you know I, I can't sit there and go oh I, I love to be tortured um unless we're like sick and it's like somehow brings joy. I don't know. That's weird. But anyways, so she is walking to this thing. She's having these thoughts, you know, like, and then she could hear the kids in, in behind her, her class, her students, like talking like, oh my gosh, do you think, you know, Miss Kim or Miss Sook at the time is going to bow? Is she going to worship the sun God? And if she does worship the sun God, does that mean we'll be blessed by her God? You know, like they didn't understand, but they were whispering like, wow, she's actually going to go. She's going to do it. She's going to worship because they knew that she was a Christian and she was teaching at a Christian school. And so they were looking to her like, what are you going to do? Right. And so she knew, she knew the decision that she had to make. And so she gets there and they are all standing and the guard would like, I don't know if he'd blow a whistle or whatever he'd do. And he said, okay, now everybody at once bow. And everybody bowed except for her. She stood straight up. And so it was very obvious that she wasn't bowing because you have all the people bowed and then you have this one person standing straight up. And so she knew, 
she knew at that point, like I'm, I'm done. Like I'm going to get arrested or I'm going to be some, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to take this lightly. And so she walks her students back to the class and the guard shows up to her classroom and starts questioning her. And she immediately remembered the Lord brought back to her remembrance, you know, Exodus 14, 14, where it says the Lord, the Lord will fight for you. So she had this peace and this calming in her spirit as she's answering the questions on why she didn't bow. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the guard's like, I got to go. He got called somewhere and he had to like go handle something really quick. So he's like, basically like, wait here, I'll be back. And she was just like, okay. And she didn't wait. She left. She just calmly says she walked down the hallway, walked out the door of the school and then just kept on walking. She went and got her mother and her and her mother went into hiding. And she hid with her sister for uh, quite a while. And so what I th thought was really interesting was just how God made a way of escape. I will fight for you. I have you. And so she was able to escape for a while. And she went into hiding for a couple years. While she was in hiding, she always knew like some point they're going to catch up with me. At some point I'll be arrested because I'm not going to hide my light under a basket. Like I'm willing to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while she was in hiding, she wanted to prepare her body for prison. And prison in Korea and Japan at that time was horrific conditions. And so one of the things that she did to prepare her physical body was she would go on fasts all the time, like one, two, three day fasts to prepare her body for without food. So that her body would be prepared to not eat. And even at one time she went on a fast for a whole week and she didn't eat for seven days just to prepare her body for not having food. And then she also would like, if it was really cold outside at night, she would go outside and she'd sleep outside on the cold to prepare her body for the cold conditions of prison. She knew that, you know, it was really cold there and, uh, dirty floors and not comforts. And she also would go out and purposely buy rotten food um, and eat it because she knew that if they did get served food in the prison, it would be rotten. It wouldn't be the foods that she was accustomed to. And she also, which I thought was so beautiful, she memorized a hundred chapters of the Bible, not a hundred verses, a hundred chapters of the scripture so that she would have the word hidden in her heart. And then she memorized a bunch of hymns so that she would have songs to fully sing to the Lord and to other prisoners. She took this seriously. She took the fact that she was going to be in prison, that she was likely going to have to face her accusers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she thought, well, I have this time in hiding. I'm going to prepare my body physically, emotionally, and spiritually for what's about to take place. I thought that was so amazing. I was just like, wow, Lord, like we don't even prepare ourselves for church on Sunday. You know, do we worship? Do we pray? Are we reading script? Like, are we ready to, to gather together and worship? Um, we don't prepare our, ourselves to go into the world, like to go to work and be around unbelievers all day or to, you know, go, to outreach our community, whatever it is, like, do we really prepare ourselves? We're, we take it so for granted that we have this freedom here of worship. 
And it was just, it was really convicting to me, like just her, her sacrifice. Like she didn't take that time and hiding and just like eat all, like I would be like, give me all the ribeyes. I'm getting ready to go to prison. So can I have ribeyes and crab legs? And, you know, like in my human mind, like my, my flesh would want to the way I would think to prepare, obviously uh, it's not necessarily the right way, but I'm saying that, you know, I'd probably be like, okay, I want to go and, you know, watch um, movies. I want to, you know, maybe stay in a luxury hotel. I want to go on vacation. Let's go see the ocean before I go to prison. Let's write all these things. Like let's go fill the flesh up before I go and not have anything, but no, she disciplined her body and prepared herself for what was going to come so that she could bring glory to the Lord. She could be ready and prepared in every, every aspect, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, so that she would not have to go through that detox time, if you will, so she can start presenting the gospel and start living out the gospel. And she, and she her body and her mind and her spiritual uh, being is ready for what's about to take place. I just thought that was so beautiful. What a, what a beautiful example you know, of that. So anyway, so she's in hiding, she prepares herself. Then, um, the, the, she found out the authorities were getting on to her, um, knowing, kind of knowing where their location was. And so she ended up going on to, um, it's called Ponyang. Ponyang is, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So she goes on to Ponyang and she meets with, um, other persecuted Christians there and starts, you know, spending time with them and, and they're, you know, ministering to one another. And then she, her friend comes and it, from where they were over to Pyongyang. And they are like, I think that we are called to go to Japan. Like, I think we have to go to Japan and call the Japanese government to repentance. Can you imagine like someone coming to you? It's like, I think we need to go to Iran. I think we need to go there. 1040 window. Missionaries have a very hard time getting in there. Pretty much certain death if you go there. And we're just going to go and see the whoever the president or whatever is of Iran and, and the whole government. And we're just going to call them to repentance. That's what we're going to do. So she's like, okay, we need to pray and fast about this. Like, God, are you calling me to Japan to go and call them to repentance? Cause that's certain death. Like if I go into that country and I, and she could, because she was sent there to school, she could speak Japanese fluently. And so she fasted and she prayed and she had peace that that's what God was calling her to do. And, and she knew it was basically certain death that when she went in there, that this is what was going to happen to her. But she said, and I love this. This is what she said. She said to be beaten, starved or killed would be better than to disobey God. Wow. I'm going to repeat that to be beaten starved or killed would be better than to disobey God. That hit me. You know, being a Christian in the West doesn't cost us anything hardly. Maybe you lose some Facebook friends. You might be called a Bible thumper. You might get cussed at. Maybe if you're out there on the streets actually preaching the gospel, you'll get spit on, cussed out and called names. but we won't get beaten typically I'm not saying it can't happen. We're not starving. Certainly we're not starving and it doesn't cost us our life yet. 
like it does in other countries and other places that what they're going through our brothers and sisters. But she understood that even going through any of that was worth it rather than disobey God. And yet we disobey God on every turn. You know, we go to church if we feel like it, if it's convenient, if it's in our schedule, you know, we, we love one another. We serve one another. If it's convenient, if it's in our schedule, we, you know, give money, if it, makes sense in our checkbook and nine times out of 10, we're being taught that I give because God's going to give back to me. So we really don't even give out of a heart of a joyful giver. We give because we expect something back or something in return. And so that just, you know, she knew that this was going to cost her and she was willing to go and she did go. So she ends up going to Tokyo, her and the friend end up going to Tokyo and they go out publicly in front of the Japanese government and they called them to repentance. She literally was like, you need to repent. You need to withdraw from Korea because what you're doing to my people is wrong. And you need to examine what the true religion is. Your Shintoism, which is what they practiced, you know, your false God, your false um, idol worship, your Shintoism is false. And I'm calling you to repentance and you need to follow the one true God, the one true religion, and that is Christianity. And that is Christ. And to your surprise, she immediately got arrested. Shocking. Immediately. Immediately got arrested. Of course, she immediately got arrested. So she's, I mean, what, that's such boldness, like to go and like, imagine going, I can't even imagine like going to Iran and just like calling them to repentance. Like I just, yeah. Anyways, God give us grace. So as she was being arrested, she remembered Esther, the book of Esther, and she remembered Esther 416, where Esther was based with this too, where she had to go before the king and it could cost her her life. She had to go on behalf of her people. And that's what Esther was doing. That That's, um, that's what Sook was doing here was she was going before them and she was um, going before the Japanese government on behalf of her people, Koreans, calling them to repentance, telling them to withdraw from Korea repent and put their faith in the one true God. And so like Esther and Esther in that verse 416, she's willing to go to the king and she knows it could cost her her life. And here's what she said. If I perish, I perish. That's what Esther 416. That's what Esther said in the Bible. If I perish, I perish. I have to be obedient. I have to do what I'm called to do for such a time as this. And that's how Isook got her new name. Now Esther is because of that scripture. And then her book, if you want to go read it, it's called If I or If I Perish. And it's by Esther Kim. And you can get it on Amazon or in other places. It's not on Audible. I, I looked for it on Audible. I didn't see it on there. And I'll put a link in the show notes so that you guys, it'd be easy for you guys if you want to go read her actual book. But it's called If I Perish. And it's based from Esther 416. And that's where her name was changed to Esther. So anyway, so she ends up um, getting put in like this little country prison. It's like not too bad. It's, you know, off in the country and it's just a little, it's just not, not as many people. It's just not as bad conditions. The food isn't as bad. And she literally said, I want to be in prison in Ponyang. And she goes, I want to be transferred immediately to Ponyang. And they're like, no, we're not going to transfer you there. You don't want to go there. It's filthy and the criminals that are there and the torture that's there and they don't have good conditions. Like, just stay here. This is an easier prison, you know, to deal with. And she insisted. She's like, I want to be sent to Ponyang. Send me to Ponyang. 
And so they did. They sent her to Pyongyang. And, it said, and she said that as soon as she got there, she, you know, got out and she yelled, got out of the car or whatever, and yelled to the whole prison yard. She said, God has sent me to this prison. So she made an announcement. She gets out of the car and she's like, I have been sent here by God, you know, Yahshua, Jesus, you know, to this prison. And they all were like, whoa, who's this, you know, person, you know, is she crazy or what? But she wanted to make it known that she was sent there to preach the gospel to this prison. She said when she got there, the smell was so horrific that she couldn't stand it. Like she got out of the car and that's all she could smell. And they're like, don't worry, you know, you'll get used to it in like a week or so. And she did, but she said it was a filthy, filthy prison. It was extremely cold there. They barely ever got fed and they were tortured. They were yelled at and treated horribly, spit on. And then there was other things that they went through that you can read about in the book. But you know, she still knew that she was brought to that prison to preach the gospel to the jailers, to the government officials that were there and to the prisoners. And she immediately um, started, you know, as soon as she got out of the car, it was time. She knew that um, that she had to shine the light of, of the Lord. And so anyway, so she ends up getting into this prison. And one day this other prisoner comes and he had just murdered her husband and she was known for being absolutely crazy. This girl, this young girl, she's a mom. She has a baby. She has murdered her husband. She's in the prison cell and she's in the prison cell um, next to Esther. And she's like banging on the walls and the doors and they have to like restrain her. And she's just screaming all the time. And so Esther's like, I want her to come into my cell. And they're like, are you crazy? Why would you? No, she can't come into your cell. She's violent. She will try to beat you up. She will try to harm you. And sisters, I don't care. I want her in my cell. And so they did. They moved this, you know, mentally, what they would think, what we would think of as a mentally ill, demon-possessed person into her cell. And the lady immediately attacked her. And so what she did was she like just held her and she held her up to her chest and, and held her there. And until she, and she was frailing and trying to, you know, bite her and hit her and whatnot, but she held her until she finally gave in. And she said the young girl just fell asleep and she fell asleep for three days in her, in, in her arms and in, in, in the cell. So she slept for three days and she said, Esther said, I just, loved her with the love of God. I would massage her feet, massage her body. I would um, give her food. I would warm her. You know, I would comb her hair. I got all the tangles out of her hair. So she didn't have tangles in her hair. So like while she was asleep, she just loved on this woman, got the tangles out and just, you know, and then when she came to or whatever, you know, Esther would share her food with her and what little bit she had, she would give to this woman. And, and she just kept telling her about Jesus. She just kept telling her about the love of Jesus and the saving grace of Jesus and the healing of Jesus. And what's so beautiful about this story is by the time that the lady ended up going for her execution, which back then it wasn't, you know, 20 years like it is now. Like you, you go in, you're pretty much done. You're going to get executed. They came to get her for her execution. And this lady did not even need to be handcuffed. Nothing. She literally, with all this peace, walked to her death. Because she said, I now have a peace of Christ. And I have a faith in Christ that I can walk to my death in peace. Her mind had sharpened up. She wasn't, wasn't having those crazy fits and stuff anymore. She had learned 
who God was, who the real Jesus was, and she was transformed by it. And I thought that was, and that's just one of many stories of how God showed up through Esther. There were many jailers ended up getting saved. Other prisoners got saved. A lot of people, you know, got saved through um, the faithfulness of Esther in his prison. You know, she never gave up. She always knew that God would provide for her. She said there would be nights where she was just freezing cold. She literally was so cold. She just, she didn't know how she was going to make it through without hyperthermia. And she said one day she was praying. She's just like, Lord, I'm so cold. I, I need warmed up. I just need some warmth. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, a package arrived. And in that package was a warm blanket and a set of warm, like insulated clothing. It was so miraculous. There's another story of where she was um, just craving an apple. She was so hungry. She really, really, really just wanted an apple. And um, all of a sudden, one day, uh, uh, a bunch of apples were donated to the prison and they were rotten apples. Like they were, they were rotten. They weren't ripe, fresh apples. But these apples, she said, they were literally so rotten that when you held them in your hand, the juices would flow out of it. And she goes, but because her teeth had rotted so, so bad because the conditions that she was in for so long, she was in this prison for six years, that that's the only way she could have ate an apple. If they, if she would have gotten a ripe apple, she wouldn't have been able to eat it. Her teeth wouldn't have been able to handle it. And so she was so grateful for this rotten apple because she still got the apple, but she was also able to eat it because it came rotten. She was able just to see God's goodness in everything that she went through in this prison. She said there were times when she didn't eat um, for days and days and days. And then all of a sudden they would give them like just a few scraps of food. And she said that was almost more torturous than not eating because once you open that fasting window, anybody who does intermittent fasting or does any type of long fasting, you're good. Once you get over the hump, like your body doesn't even ask you for food anymore. But then if you feed it even one little morsel, your body will start screaming to be refueled. So I could really appreciate what she said there. And it was almost worse to get food at all because it was never enough and your body would just go screaming again. Then you'd have to go back into the fasting stage. And, but, and they got rotten food all the time and it was always cold. So everything that she had prepared her body for uh, did happen. And, but her body was prepared mentally, emotionally, and then spiritually, she was able to recite these chapters of the Bible to her inmates and the jailers. She was able to sing these beautiful hymns to them as well while she was in there. And so, so it's just such a beautiful story. So she was there for six years. Japan ends up surrendering. Remember the, they got bombed Pearl Harbor, right? So Pearl Harbor, they get bombed, they end up surrendering. And so they have to, and they have to let go of all the prisoners. And so she ends up being let go. There was a part in the uh, time when she was in prison that she um, was able to escape or somehow left or something. I forget fully but she left and she went and saw her mom and her mom was like, you need to go back to prison. She's like, you need to finish your sentence for Christ. Because her mom was just as radical and devout to Christ as, as um, Esther was. And she's like, you know what? Right. I do. I have assignments there and I need to go back. She could have stayed out. She could have just went off and went into hiding and then the war would have been over and whatnot. But she didn't. She went back to the prison and said, I'm coming back. And they're like, no one has ever done this. And she's like, I'm doing this for Christ. I'm going to finish my sentence for Christ. Christ has me here and I'm going to stay here. And I thought, wow, that's such a beautiful testimony also. And again, you can read her book, um, If I Perish, it's on Amazon. 
and I'll put it in the show notes. But so anyway, so in 1945, Japan surrenders, all the prisoners are let go. She ends up meeting um, her husband, Don Kim. He was an engineer at the time and they end up moving over to the United States. And she went to the United States so that she could go to seminary school. She wanted to go to seminary and he ends up becoming a pastor. He was an engineer, but he ends up becoming a pastor and they end up planting um, a beautiful church in Korean town in Los Angeles called the Berendo Street Baptist Church. And she was right there in the center of where a lot of um, Koreans lived and refuge refugees and whatnot. And so they end up having, and that church is still there. It's so beautiful. And she, they faithfully served that church for 40 years and they literally laid their life down for not only that church, but they ended up doing like a church planting in South Africa. And they did like a ton of missionary work and she would travel and tell people, you know, her story and they, they literally surrendered their lives completely to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They gave everything they had for the gospel. And she ultimately ended up passing away in 1997. So not that long ago, really, in the scope of you know church history, she uh, ended up getting Alzheimer's um, and, and passed away. And I just thought it was so beautiful. You think of everything that she did, the faithfulness that she had, the, um, you know, how she surrendered everything for Jesus. And the one thing I loved about, uh, just a little side note about her mother, you know, as moms, you know, you guys have, we have so much influence on our children and, and we can pour Christ into them in so many beautiful ways. She, her mother got saved when she was eight years old, missionaries had come into Korea and she had heard the gospel and she became born again. And so then obviously she was the only Christian within the home because she married a man who wasn't saved ladies. Stop thinking you can save these men. If they are not truly born again, with bearing the fruit of a born again believer, don't marry them. But anyways, so she married an unbeliever, obviously, because her dad was not saved. But she used to say to her kids all the time, she said, she's had four things. She goes, four things you have to live by about Jesus. There's four things you have to know. You have to keep in your mind at all times. Jesus is the only son of God. Jesus will never forsake his people. Jesus will always hear the prayers of his children and Jesus always uses bad things for our good and his glory. And I was like, that's so awesome. And so she was raised on those four principles, those four pillars. Her mom would recite that all the time, you know? And so just reminding her and think about, you know, Esther's life and, and going through these different things. She knew that Jesus was the only son of God. So she was going to call others to repentance to, and she was not going to bow to these false gods and these false idols. She knew that no matter what, whether she was going to be in prison, whether she's going to be church planning, whether she's going to be killed, tortured, beaten, starved, it didn't matter that Jesus will never forsake his people. She knew that. And she knew that he will always hear her prayers. And so she would pray and pray and he would always show up warm blankets, rotten apples, you know, whether it's getting her out of the school when that guard was questioning her, God hears the prayers of the children. And then Jesus will always turn anything bad, anything Satan throws at us because we love him for our good and his glory. And you see the good that all of that she went through how it worked out for her good and God's glory to the day, 2023, I'm giving a podcast on a lady that you and I have probably never heard of otherwise in all the great work. And she, her life is still inspiring women like you and me. I, and I love that. And so just remember moms, you're raising up the next generation. Nothing goes to waste. 
pour the word into them. Let them see the peace of your life, the, the, the quiet peace, the joy, the, the perseverance, the love that you have for them. Even if you're going through hard times, you're, maybe your marriage is struggling, maybe your finances are struggling, maybe your health is struggling, but let them see the peace of God in the midst of all of that. They, they see the victory of Christ in our lives. No matter what we're going through, we have victory. We are overcomers. Christ lives within us. And so we can get through anything that he throws at us because he will never forsake his people. He does hear our prayers. He is the only son of God. So we will not bow to the idols out there. What's going on out in the world. We are not going to bow to that. And God will always work it out for our good and his glory. These are the things that I saw in my grandmother. This is the type of pillars that I saw in her. And that's why I never could give up on Jesus because of the example that she had for me. And one last thing, a final quote that I want to leave with you from Esther is, I knew it would be impossible for me to keep my faith in my own power. God would have to work through me if I was to stand firm. Remember that it is God's power, sisters, that gives us the ability to continue to stand. And while we, we're not facing prison the way that Esther did right now, probably if you're, well, unless you're listening in another country that you have persecution, I just pray for you. But here in America, here in the West, you know, we are so blessed. And so take this and know that everything we do is in, has got to be in his power. You know, everything that we're called to do has got to be his strength and his power working through us so that we can continue to stand. And the reason why I love to do these women of faith series is not so that we can look and go, man, I suck. You know, like these people are dying for eating rotten apples, you know, fasting for weeks, you know, preparing their bodies. That's all true. It's beautiful. But it's not, you know, well, we suck because we're not doing that. The truth is, it just calls us higher. The truth is we can take the inspiration of, of these women and their lives and their strength and their character and their love for God and their love for the gospel and go, okay, God, what they're doing and what they've done in the face of persecution, in the face of it being illegal, what can we do with the freedom that we have? You know, we have so much freedom and we have all this time and this money and a gift that you've given us. What can we do with it as women of faith? How can we spur each other on and be called higher? These stories spur me on. These stories help me to self-reflect and go, wow, God, I'm taking a lot of things for granted. You know, I'm not taking very seriously some of the things that I could be doing for you. And, how, and, and it's not a works-based salvation. I'm saved by, by faith alone. And it's not by works, but yet good works should follow those who believe. And so, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to do what you've called me to do. And I want to be faithful with what you've given me. And so it calls me higher. It helps me to self-reflect. It helps, helps us to say, Lord, man, I think I could probably serve a little bit more in my church. I think I could probably get out there and preach the gospel to a few more people. I mean, if she could do it in prison where it could cost her her life, it could cost her a, a beating, it could cost her whatever. I think I can go to the grocery store and tell somebody about Jesus today. I do. And I need to, you know? And so I love these stories because these are average women who were obedient to Jesus Christ, loved him and loved other people the way that we're commanded to even laying their lives down for them. And I think it calls us higher and it spurs us on to good works, which is what the gospel tells us to do spur one another on to love and good works. 
And so I love you guys. And Lord, I just want to pray for my sisters that are listening to this right now, Father, that you would continue to spur us on to love one another, to love the lost, and to have good works following us in our salvation. Lord, whatever you've called us to do, let us know, Father, that it, it doesn't, we may not be called to the Korean prisons, the Japanese prisons, to Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, but we're called right where we're at. And we can make a difference right where we at, right where we're at. And it starts in our home with our children, our husbands, our neighbors, our friends, our family. And it starts in the church, God, that we're loving one another well in the church, growing up and maturing each other. Let all the runners run, God, as you talk about Corinthians. Let all the runners run. We should all be running this race together, serving and using our gifts to build one another up. Lord, be with my sisters. Touch their families, their lives, their finances. Lord, if anybody's having health issues, I pray healing over them. Father, I just pray you be with us until next time, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to share this message of Esther and the legacy that she has left for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If it has blessed you in any way, would you give me 30 seconds and share it with a friend of yours. One more small little favor, if you would, head over to whatever podcast source you're listening to this on and give me a five-star review. That would be so great. It helps get the episodes out there to other people who may be wanting to learn God's word. Again, don't forget, guys. Until next time, it is a crockpot faith, not a microwave. With God's word, discipleship, patience, you too will be transformed for his good work. Grace and peace I leave with you until next time.